0: Today's scripture reading is from Acts 16, 12 through 34. Acts 16, 12 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to, the, to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira <laughs> um, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, At once, all of the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Emily, for reading God's Word to us. And if you know anything about Chelton, you know that we are a scripture-saturated church, right? Every Sunday, service is centered on the Bible, from the songs that we've been singing, to the scripture readings in between the songs, to the scripture reading itself, we just heard the sermon, the benediction, um, everything. Everything. And for many years, we have used the New International Version, the NIV, as our standard translation here on Sunday mornings. Many of us have memorized verses from it. We love the way it communicates so clearly, and it is an excellent translation, and I, I will use it the rest of my life. For, but for many years, uh, we've noticed that... Uh, Especially churches like ours have um, been using, let's say, curriculum in the Sunday schools, Bible studies, materials, you know, that we, maybe books you read, um, that are using a different translation. It's called the English Standard Version. Have you heard of that? The ESV. And uh, most of the churches like ours are actually using that translation in their Sunday morning services. So because of those reasons, uh, and we agree that it also is an excellent translation. Some of you already use it, I know. I'm using it alongside the NIV for years. So recently our elders made the decision to begin using the ESV here in our Sunday morning services and our sermons. And we're going to start in January in the new year. So uh, you, uh, this may sound like a big announcement or a huge change, but it's really not that big of a change because, first of all, if you had both uh, like I do when I prep for a sermon, it's not radically different. It is different, but <laughs> they're both good, uh, good translations that uh, we will use, but we thought we would standardize here on Sunday mornings from the ESV. So um, if you want to learn more, a little more details, also how we're going to plan to help you learn about it, even obtain a translation, uh, take a look at the Wednesday video that's coming out this week on our midweek update. And of course, if you have any any questions about the translation or the procedure or whatever, feel free to ask me or one of the pastors or one of the elders. would will be glad to help. Now, changing gears a bit, uh, I'm still coming off of last Sunday's services. I mean, I was here for both of them. I see some of you that were baptized, and uh, I heard from so many people, both then and after, like, wow, what great services. And if you Let's say you missed the Sunday or you didn't see the other Sunday. Go to our YouTube channel. Check it out. You can fast forward if you want to, (laughs) uh, you know, if you heard the sermon. But just go to that block at the end and to hear the testimonies um, were just so meaningful. The One thing that I go away from when I was there last week and think about it even now uh, is the fact that every testimony was different and yet it was the same. It was different because everybody had their own story, their own background, different ages, different cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds. But it all came to one focal point when they talked about how they met Christ, their conversion how they turned from one way of living, one way of thinking, and in a moment of time, a miracle happened. Miracles are happening. What a difference to change from the inside out, to go from living and thinking one whole way, dedicated to yourself and sinfulness, and to have that moment of illumination. That conversion, that turning, and to go a new way, that's huge. That's something only God can do. And in today's passage, Luke, the one who wrote the book of Acts, uh, gives us three cameos of conversion. All three people whose stories you just heard read um, came to faith in different ways, different backgrounds, but they all came together to form the new church at Philippi. (laughs) Now, think about that. you probably heard, if you're a Christian, you've heard of the book of Philippians, right? Paul wrote to this church. He actually writes 10 years after the story that we read today. Here is the church in its infancy, when it's born. And Today, we get to uh, meet these three people. So, you ready? Uh, let's meet. Well, before we even before I introduce you to them, let me tell you a little bit about the city itself, Philippi. It was a Roman colony, which Luke calls in this passage the leading city in that area, in Macedonia. So, if you had a map in your mind, maybe you can see uh, Italy, and then next to it, Greece, and then if you go to the north of Greece in the old world, that was called Macedonia. Alexander the Great was from Macedonia. And uh, Philippi is tucked right up there, and uh, it's actually one of the furthest points east of Europe. And if you go that direction, you go to the east you go to this direction, you go west. So, in the book of Acts chapter 16, we see the gospel coming, we could say, to Europe for the very first time. This uh, city is a Roman colony. Scholars think had about 10,000 people, mainly people who were, let's say, retired from the military and wanted a nice place close to the coast uh, to live out the rest of their lives. Now, this visit, as I mentioned, happened in about the year 50 on one of Paul's missionary trips. And I already told you, but I'll say it again. He writes 10 years later on another missionary trip back to the church, the letter that we call Philippians. So, let's take a look at the three people that Luke introduces us to. The first one is a merchant. Um, And... Paul finds her in, well, I want to say a synagogue, but it's not a synagogue. So, the way the story goes is Paul comes to the town. He is Jewish, which means immediately as a Jewish teacher, rabbi, he has a free pass to be the preacher of the day at a synagogue. A rabbi would always give way to a traveling rabbi, and so he looked for that... uh, that place where he could tell them not only about the God of heaven, but also the Messiah of Israel. And that's what Paul did here. So he's looking around for the synagogue. He doesn't find one. He finds women meeting by a river. Now, what that tells us is there were not enough men. You had to add 10 men to form a Jewish synagogue. It's called a minyan. Well, for some reason... There weren't either any men or 10 men. And so the women who were Jewish were gathered near a riverside. And um, that's an interesting thing. Like, who is Lydia then? You might say, oh, she's Jewish. Well, no. Um, She is called a worshiper of God in verse 15. Or some translations will say a God-fearer. In the book of Acts, you have a number of people like this. They were not Jewish. They were Gentile. But they were worshiping the God of Israel without being racially Jewish. And we already have seen one in the book of Acts, uh, in chapter 10, Cornelius. He was an Italian soldier stationed in Caesarea, and it said he was a worshiper of God who came to faith in Jesus. So, um... That's her background. She's a religious woman, not Jewish, but worshiping the God of Israel. But the other thing about her that's interesting is, and it's actually the way Luke starts it, he talks about what she did for a living. She was a wealthy businesswoman. She was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, it says purple because... um, you know, most cloth in the ancient world was just the way it came out naturally from the fibers. But to dye it was a very expensive process. They got the purple dye from a unique shell, and you could only get a drop or two from each shell. So and purple, I mean, for somebody like me, who's colorblind, that's one of the only colors I can really see. Everything looks, I'm going to call it blue, and people correct me, no, that's purple. So it's a very stunning color, right? Almost a royal color. And Luke says she wasn't even from Philippi. She was from a city called Thyatira. Now, if you've heard of that before, you know it from the book of Revelation where uh, Jesus sends letters to seven churches in what's called Asia Minor at that time. We would call it today modern Turkey. Now, you might think, hold it, you were talking about Greece, now we're talking about Turkey? Yeah, she's from Turkey. I did a, what do you call it, Google Maps, (laughs) and I found out if you wanted to drive today from Philippi to Thyatira, it's a 400-mile drive. It would take you at least eight hours. (laughs) Now, talk about a woman of means, a woman who, and again, we're just, Speculating here, she was from Theatira. Did she have a number of businesses along the way? Did she move from there to Philippi? Uh, did she have—I um, don't know—two locations, two houses? Again, we're all—it's all speculation here. But she's certainly a woman of means and a woman who knows how to travel. She's been. In and around the world, and she's meeting Paul here. Now, the amazing thing is not so much the fact of, uh, you know, she's a worshiper of God, but that what God did as He worshipped her is the miracle. You remember what it says there? In verse fourteen, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Wow. That's called conversion. That's the amazing thing about this miracle of what God does. You know what it implies? It really implies two things. First, that her heart was closed, not just her heart, right, but everybody's heart. We are born separated from God, sinners hardened from God. Other words that the Bible uses are blind, dead, we're cut off from the life of God. But it also implies that only God can reverse that. Only God can make a dead person live. Only God can make a blind person see. Only God can open a closed heart. As smart as she was, as much money as she had, (laughs) you couldn't raise a corpse. You can't do an eye transplant. We are helpless in the face of a gracious, compassionate God who loves to resurrect sinners to himself. This same word, uh, opened, is used by Luke in his gospel. Do you remember the story of the two men who were walking with Jesus, the resurrected Christ? And they're talking about, oh, we're so sad because the Messiah died. Remember that? And Luke says in chapter 24, Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. That's a miracle. Illumination is not something that comes because of your IQ. It comes as a gift. And then the story says, uh, after that, Lydia and the others in her household, as the word spread, were baptized after they believed. That's what we saw last week, right? The stories, all of them were, I came to faith, I was blind, now I see, And now, I will receive the water of baptism. That's the pattern in the book of Acts. And then it says at the end here, she invites Paul and his friends to stay at her, I'm going to say her large house. And that's where the church was born. And we know that because at the end of the chapter here, in verse 40, it wasn't read to us. It says, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encourage them. House churches. That's Lydia, our sister in faith. Now, there's a second person Luke introduces us to here. This woman is quite different. And in the following days, as Paul was staying there, he kept meeting with these women at the riverside, at the place of prayer, and it says that he encountered a demon-possessed girl, a slave girl, who had a, Luke calls it, a spirit by which he predicted the future. This um, demon of divination inside the girl uh, let her actually predict what would happen to people who paid her owners a high price for such information. Facts like this would help somebody, uh, what, avoid trouble, if that was the prediction, or um, maybe give them some inside knowledge of something that other people didn't know about. Um, You can imagine the kind of money, if you had it, is it worth knowing something? Yeah, these guys, uh, through this girl, if you just pay them this, you can find out what's going to happen in the future. How? Now, what, you, mean, you know, we don't have a, you have to use your imagination to fill in the blanks here on how that worked, but uh, what, what Luke tells us is what this girl was saying. She wasn't being paid to say it. She was just shouting out to everybody around, These words. These men are servants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. And apparently, that, you know, happened again and again. And Paul just got so upset and annoyed at it uh, that he cast the demon out of the girl. Now. I don't know, first of all, maybe you're like me. You're thinking, hold it, Paul, that's free publicity, (laughs) right? What are you doing? If you want to multiply your efforts, you know, put up a billboard. You can say it, it can say it, the girl can say it. So why did he cast the demon out and silence her? Well, first of all, like I just said, it came from a demon, Everybody knew that she was speaking from the spirit inside her. God doesn't need his enemies to proclaim his truth. Paul knew that. In addition to that, she was being, could we say, financially abused as a slave by these men that owned her. That wasn't right either. But probably more importantly, it confused what the real gospel was. I mean, think about it. If you were not a Christian at all, and you're living in the Greco-Roman world, and you worship all sorts of gods and goddesses, and one of these demon-possessed girls says, this guy over here is telling you about the way of salvation from uh, the Most High God. Well, who is your Most High God? Zeus. So even though for us as Christians, her message kind of sounds accurate, to the general population, it was so wrong that Paul said, that's enough. And the powers of darkness submitted to the power of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her, it says in verse 18. And the demon... Obeyed. Just like Jesus, so Paul. Now, Luke doesn't tell us about the girl's future, so I'm speculating here. And it's not just me. As we prep for sermons, we read scholars who write commentaries that know a whole lot more than we do, so we borrow a lot of their ideas. Um, And most everyone says if you put two and two together here, She must have had some sort of conversion. I mean, think about it. She loses the demon, not just on her own, but because of the man who was preaching about Jesus, in the name of Jesus. She's free of that. And then she's dropped by her slave masters because she can't produce anymore. So she's liberated from her oppression. Could it be, and again, I'm just trying to connect the dots, maybe this new little church took her in, loved her, supported her, became her new family? I want to think so, because that's how Christians love each other. But in the meantime, things turned worse for Paul and Silas because the girls' owners were so upset that they falsely accused Paul and Silas of being anti-Roman. That was a very serious charge, and the next thing you know, they end up in jail. And then we get to meet our third person, the jailer. Now, the story goes like this. While painfully suffering from these, uh, they were flogged so their backs are shredded, Um, they're in physical pain, they're thrown into a deep dungeon in solitary confinement, and at midnight, they can't sleep, they're not complaining. You know what they're doing? They're having a worship service. They didn't have a worship leader. (laughs) They were the worship leaders. They were singing and praising God. And all the other prisoners that were there heard them as well. And then God did another miracle. This time he sends an earthquake that shakes the prison, frees all the prisoners from their shackles, I guess that were connected to the wall. And some of the walls fell down and the doors, you know, came open. And now the jailer, he wakes up and he's terrified. Not so much of the earthquake, because of what the earthquake did. All the people that he was supposed to keep in solitary confinement now can walk out free. So he he can connect the dots in his life, and he's a dead man because his superiors will have his head as they try to rescue all these prisoners that have escaped. Or so he thinks. But Paul and the others stayed in jail to save the life of the jailer in more than one way. Paul put in practice what he would later write to the Philippian church let each of you look out not for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this jailer was so frightened that when he saw Paul and everybody else there still there, not running away, in his desperation, he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And you know what? That's about the best question that any human being can ever ask, isn't it? And sometimes when people come to faith, that's what gets them to the bottom before they can look up to be saved. There's no hope. But you, you, Paul, Silas, you guys, you could have run away. You were singing to your God. I remember hearing your message in the streets. What do I have to do? And Paul, in verse 31, just gives this simple sentence believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved <laughs> not not a long list join the church give money be a little better as a jailer treat your prisoners a little more kindly and maybe god'll you know give you a little no there's the gospel trust simple but life-changing. And apparently he did. He did believe because after helping the prisoners recover from their wounds, the jailer and his family who believed were baptized, just like Lydia. The whole household was. They believed, and they were baptized too. Now, think about it for a minute. Unlike Lydia who was a seeker, right? She was worshiping God. She just needed, could you say, to add Jesus to make her faith complete. This jailer was, um, what, I, I don't know his background, but he certainly wasn't a seeker. But the one thing that brought him to conversion was the fact that the earthquake didn't just destroy the buildings Around him, it destroyed the structures in his heart. They crumbled. He was desperate. He was broken. He realized he was lost. So we've talked about three people, a seeker, an opposer, a demon girl, and somebody who's in a desperate, helpless situation, and they all came to faith. They were all turned, they converted by God's grace. You know what that means for us? Well, you know, we're talking about a beautiful church. That's what made the church at Philippi so beautiful and attractive for people. Because it was so diverse from opposers to seekers to people who just They needed help. They all came under the same umbrella of the gospel, the good news. And Chelton is made up of people from various backgrounds. We're all much richer for it, aren't we? Nobody, nobody should look down on someone's past since we all come into the kingdom through the same door the cross. And in a few minutes, we're going to come to the communion table. And do you realize that we're all treated the same? It's not like we have a first-class meal for first-class Christians, you know, or a value meal for people who, you know, (laughs) can't afford much. No. We all receive the same bread in the cup, and everybody waits and eats together as one big family. Let's remember that. That's a beautiful thing. Secondly, let's also remember that God uses Christians as his instruments to convert other people. Now, you know, I could have read this story, and it could have been like last week with Saul. Remember? Saul, why are you persecuting me? There was no human that said that to Paul. Jesus did himself. But that's the the only time, as far as I know, in the book of Acts, where Jesus directly goes to a human. Every other time, he uses another Christian to give the message. That's profound. It was Paul's words that began the process of conversion. God changes others through those whom he has changed. Changed lives, change lives. Now, if you know somebody like Lydia who's religious, then be ready to tell them about Jesus. You know, they're kind of like almost halfway there. <laughs> you can do that. You don't need an apostle, a pastor to do it. You can. Can do it. And in all those testimonies we heard last week, I don't know, maybe I heard a youth director as a professional, but I think everybody else, it was a family member, it was a friend, it was somebody else who said, Here is Jesus who you need to trust. If you know somebody who's opposing the gospel, like this demonized girl, well, be ready to help them by confronting. Their error. Step outside your comfort zone and be bold. Now we we're, 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 remember when we're when we're talking to people about Jesus. It's not like you know. Do you belong to this discount membership club? Uh, there's more benefits. Oh, you don't. Well, let me tell you how good it is. You know, something like that. I might do that. But. That's not what we're talking about. We are in eternal warfare here against the kingdom of darkness. When you're talking to somebody about Jesus or encountering anybody who doesn't know him, they are a captive of the enemy, and you're on the victor's side. Remember that. Don't let that scare you. Actually, let that embolden you. (laughs) You're on the side of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So you speak in truth and in love. And then, if you know somebody who's in a desperate situation, just be ready to listen, to hear what is going on in their life, and then at the right time, love them to life with the words of the gospel. Do you remember this testimony from last week? She said, I lived in a world of anger, self-pity, anxiety, and pure unhappiness. And as I sat in church that Sunday, I accepted God's offer. I wanted to live in a way that was pleasing to him. This person, like so many others, some of you maybe were so desperate for answers, and they found Jesus was, is the answer. How beautiful it would be to have more testimonies like these at our next baptismal service. So, final thing is, God is the only one who converts people. I thought you just said, I need to say something. Well, yeah, you do. (laughs) But you're saying it is just the instrument that God uses He's he's the one who opened Lydia's heart. God can do what we cannot. Remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now think about it. How can you tell somebody to be born? You can't birth yourself. And so when we speak to anyone... And everyone, we always in the back of our minds know that only God can open the hearts of those who are his own. Now, that's a mystery. Don't try to solve it. Just speak and let God do the rest. It's a mystery, but you know what? It's also an adventure because we're not in charge. It's not like you have to say it a slick way. Oh, no, maybe I messed it up. No, you just speak the truth. And God will do his work in his way, in his time. That's why our church is a beautiful church. Not, not because we're beautiful, but because Jesus is. He's building his church by opening the hearts of sinners. And that's what it says in Hebrews 12 too. Jesus is the founder of and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and he is seated now at the right hand of the throne of god so father we we are so grateful for your grace and mercy in opening our eyes in turning us from darkness to light, in giving us new birth through the Spirit. As we come now to the table to feast, to have one more meal with the one who has promised us everything when he returns. Give us your grace in new, fresh ways by the power of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.